Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the verses 50 to 58. So 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. Uh, Some of you may remember that it was read at the Queen's funeral. Uh, And now we're reading it at Clinton's farewell. (laughs) That wasn't meant to be funny. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, now that I have your attention... (laughs) I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Amen. Uh, This morning has uh, given me a new appreciation for... um, what I put people through when I asked them to come up the front and, uh, and stand there. And I apologise every, to everyone that I've uh, put in that position before. I'd much rather be in that position than in that one, uh, quite honestly. Well, in thinking about this morning and uh, thinking about what to preach from, I uh, had a look at what I did for the very first sermon uh, that I preached here as pastor uh, at South Bowen. As I said, about 490 uh, sermons ago, I thought if it was any good, I'd just roll it out again, um, because, but alas, um, it wasn't, <laughs> so I uh, had to go with something else. But I, I noticed that uh, I started that sermon with a thank you uh, to the church for the way in which uh, we'd been welcomed and the way in which we'd been able to settle in, and I, I really want to start this morning uh, my time with the microphone doing the same. Um, I want to just spend a a few moments saying thank you for uh, the last 11 years or so. Um, It has been a a real privilege uh, to serve here as your pastor and has been extremely rewarding. Um, A little while later on in in, in chapter 13 where Murray read from, it it instructs the church uh, really to enable the work of elders to to be a joy and a blessing and and not a hardship. And I, I want to say thank you for the way that you have fulfilled that command of Scripture. Uh, because uh, it has been a joy and a privilege. 
Uh, over the course of, of time, I, I get to talk to, to other people who are in ministry. We, we, we compare notes, we compare churches, um, and things like that. And uh, always as I do that, I'm, I'm usually come away from that extremely thankful for the blessing of being in South Barwon, um, and that I haven't had to share many of the same or similar hardships and and, and burdens that they have. Now, it's, it's not being hassle-free. No, no ministry is easy. Um, but you, you have been warm and appreciative and affirming, and I, I really want to thank God for that. Um, in the verse that we're considering this morning, um, and we're just going to be looking at verse 58 here, and this is not the start of the sermon, by the way, so you, you can't start your clock um, just yet. Um, Paul calls the Corinthian church, my beloved brothers. Um, and if you have an ESV, you'll have a footnote that says that the word brothers there it really implies brothers and sisters. And uh, in, in looking at this this week, I, I didn't realize it before. Paul only uses this phrase twice. Um, he uses it here of the Corinthians, and he uses it in Philippians, uh, which we've just been in, in Philippians chapter 4. And I found it really interesting that, that Paul uses this phrase of, of the Philippians, with which he has probably... Uh, the most warm, encouraging relationship uh, with any church. Um, and he uses it here of the Corinthians, uh, with whom he has probably the hardest, most tumultuous relationship ever. And so I really thought, well, I can call you my beloved brothers and sisters with integrity, and it wouldn't really matter what the relationship was like, because <laughs> it fits in both extremes. But, but very genuinely, I, I can say that I, I can say that you are my beloved brothers and sisters uh, in the Philippian sense of, of, of the use of that. Um, and I, I hope that uh, you can call me and our family your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you have a very special place in, in my heart. And uh, I hope that I and, and the family have that same place in your heart as well. Um, thank yous can be really genuine, uh, can be really general, but I, I actually just want to say thank you for a couple of things specifically. And, and one of them is a thank you for the way that you have welcomed and embraced our family um, and, and not just me. Um, and particularly the way that you have encouraged and warmly got around our kids um, as well and made them a part of this church. And we're really thankful for that. That's a, that's a tremendous blessing. Um, in ministry. So we're really thankful for that. Thank you for those who have mentored them, um, who have nurtured them, who have served in ministries that have encouraged them. That, that's really, We're really thankful for that. I want to say thank you to um, those that I've served alongside as elder with over that 11 years. Um, it often hasn't been a great number of people at one moment, but over the course of that time, there's there's quite a number of you, and I really want to thank you for the partnership that we've been able to have together in serving God. Um, we've, we've had, uh, by the grace of God, such a, a good working relationship. Um, very few moments of disagreement or tension or trouble, um, and I almost always come away from session meetings greatly encouraged and spurred on in the work. Um, to not dread going to session meetings and actually come away excited about what doing in the church, that's, that's a tremendous blessing, and I'm so thankful for that. And then I also just broaden that out just to those many other people that have served in, in ministry roles and in, in, in ministry leadership stuff in this church. Um, what a joy to work as partners uh, 
um, in the gospel together. And I'm so thankful to God for that. And last of all, I, I just want to I just want to say thank you um, for trusting me um, over this 11 years. And maybe it hasn't always been earned, um, but I have really felt the trust of the church the whole way through. Um, You've trusted me to bring you God's word uh, week by week. Uh, you've trusted me to encourage you and, 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 and uh, spur you on in, in various ways. You've trusted me to lead and to come up with new ideas and, and supported those. Um, and that, that has been a wonderful gift. Um, and I really thank you for, for that. I have a, a lot of mixed um, emotions about today and about uh, the wrapping up of time here. Um, I'm not an overly emotional person, so don't expect me to break down um, at any point today. That's just uh, not what I do, <laughs> uh, apparently. Um, but I, but I am, I'm really sad uh, to be finishing up. I'm excited about what's to come, and I'm really thankful for what's been. Um, but I, I'm, I'm also really sad that, that today is the last day I stand up here as um, your pastor and bring God's word to you. But that is what we're going to do. Enough of the mushy stuff, and we'll um, get into God's Word together. As I said, we're just going to really be looking at the one verse today, verse 58 there. Uh, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Before we dump in, let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that you are the one who speaks to us in your Word. Uh, thank you that you've spoken to your church and your people right from the beginning. You haven't left us guessing who you are and what you're doing, but you've revealed it so clearly. And we ask, Lord God, that you would speak to us again today. You'd encourage us, you'd spur us on, you'd rebuke us where we need it. We pray for your Spirit's work in our hearts and in our minds for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, in some ways, I've kind of been preparing for today for actually 11 years. You know that when you start in a ministry and in a church, when you've got a pastor who starts, you know that it's not going to last forever. There is going to come a point at which that relationship, that ministry comes to an end. And so as a pastor, in a sense, you are working always for that day that you finish. Uh, thinking about where the church might be at that moment and, and working towards that and setting it up well for, for the future and for the other elders as they, as they continue to lead. Now, of course, that's become a little bit more acute uh, over the last four months, uh, thinking a little bit more, and particularly over the, end of the, over the last few weeks, thinking a lot about uh, finishing and this day in, in my life and in the life of the church. But we do that with a whole lot of areas of life, don't we? Uh, we've had a, a bunch of weddings this year in the church, and that's been really exciting. And uh, that's a day that we prepare for, isn't it? It's a day that is big, and we've got all those arrangements to make. Uh, the ceremony, and the flowers, and the dress, and the suit, and the, the, the food, and the reception, and the honeymoon, and of course, and there you're preparing for a married life together. We, it's a big day, and we prepare, we prepare well for it. Uh, we've, we've had a, a bunch of little kids born We've got a bunch more to come as well. It's, it's wonderful. It's like COVID finished and all of a sudden couples like each other uh, once again. 
And so, so when you're having this child, though, and particularly if it's a first child, you, you prepare for it, don't you? It's a, it's a big event, a, a big change in life. And so there's a room to get ready and furniture to buy, and there's that emotional preparation of having this, this, this little child to take care of. It's, it's a big thing, and we prepare for it. And we could name a whole lot of areas, couldn't we, of life? Uh, leaving home, or starting a new job, or finishing our studies, uh, retiring. These, these are big days, and we think about them, and we, we, we plan for them, we prepare for them. Now, as Paul writes this one particular verse, uh, he has been talking a lot about a big day that is to come for believers, for people whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice in this verse, he actually starts with the word, therefore, so what he said in front of this is tremendously important. But he's been telling, and, and Steve pointed this out, he's been telling about the big day. Not just for believers, but in fact for the whole world. The day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. The day when he will come and everything will be transformed. And believers who have fallen asleep in Christ, they'll be raised from the dead. And all believers who are still alive will be transformed in that moment. They will receive a new body, a spiritual body. They will enjoy the presence of of their God and Savior for all eternity with all believers. He says that this is the day that is coming. In fact, this whole chapter is actually focused on this. It's focused on the fact that Christians will be, will be raised from the dead. The Corinthians had a problem. They, they didn't believe it. They, they, they were stuck thinking that somehow it had already happened. But Paul says, no, there's, there's a big day to come. And it's certain because Jesus himself was was raised from the dead. You can, you can know this for sure because Jesus himself was dead and then raised again. And so followers of the Lord Jesus are people who, who both look back. They, they look back to the, to the events of the cross. They look back to the death and the resurrection and his reigning. They look back and they live in the light of it. And at the same time, they look forward. Oh, they look forward with hope and with eagerness, and with anticipation, and with certainty in the day that Jesus returns. That's why Paul starts this verse with therefore. He's saying that this day is coming, and in the light of that, this is how you should be living. You see, the reality of this day to come shapes us now. It shapes what we dream about and what we hold dear. It shapes what we prioritize and what we emphasize in our lives. It, it, it shapes our, our ambitions. It shapes the way that we live. We're preparing for the big day, the eternal feast that we looked at last week. And so Paul says, my beloved brothers and sisters, this is, this is what you should do. And I, and I chose this verse this morning because uh, as a... As a farewell, this is what is close to my heart for our church. Uh, this is some of the things that I've been working for and praying for as well. And these are some of the things we want to keep working for and towards as a church. There's lots of things we don't know about the future, isn't there? Uh, we don't know what next year will be like. 
individually and as a church. We, we don't know who our next pastor will be or, or when that might come. Who, who knows whether things in our country will become harder for believers or, or easier. There's lots of things we don't know. But, but we do know that Jesus is returning. And because of that, two things we want to see Paul instructs us here. And the first one is there is to be steadfast and immovable. Because Jesus is coming back, because we have the sure hope and certain expectation, because Jesus himself died and rose and is returning, we are to be steadfast and immovable. Now, there's two commands in there, isn't there? Steadfast and immovable. And they're, they're, they're kind of similar, but there's a, a bit of a difference amongst them as well. Steadfast is actually a, a word that was used of ancient wrestlers. Uh, so you've maybe seen maybe a movie that's got, that's got sort of the ancient games on it, and you've got these two big guys inside a circle, and they're trying to push each other out of it. And steadfast was, was a word used to, to, to remaining firm as you were pushed against to standing your ground when, when someone wanted to shove you off there. Well, what, what, would, what would we want to be shoved off of? What are we to remain steadfast in? Well, the same word is actually used in the book of Colossians. And there, we're to, told to be steadfast, not shifting from the hope that we have, the hope of the gospel. And it's the same in this context as well. We're not to be shifted from the eternal hope that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus. We're to keep trusting him. We're to be certain about our faith. We're to be certain about our standing before God and our eternal future and our eternal home. We're to be steadfast in our trust and faith in Christ. Now, immovable is, is kind of similar, but it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's the only time this, this word is actually used in the New Testament. Um, and it's an actually an even stronger word than the word steadfast. It's really to hold on to something tightly in spite of all of the forces that are pushing against you. Maybe we could picture that, that lighthouse which stands on the edge of the rocks. And, and year after year, the, the waves pound against it. And maybe that goes on for decades. Maybe it goes on for centuries. And storms come and go. But the lighthouse, it's, it's immovable. And so, so Paul says to us, you, you be immovable. Now where the word steadfast relates probably more to our hope and our trust. The word immovable relates more to our belief, to what we actually believe about the gospel. Paul is saying, don't be moved from the faith that you have. Don't be moved in what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and particularly about his death and his rising and his returning. Don't move from that solid ground. Don't be swayed. Don't entertain alternatives. Don't water it down. Because of what is to come, church, we are to be steadfast in our hope and in our faith. 
and immovable in our belief. Not being swayed by false teaching. In using these two commands, uh, steadfast and immovable, Paul is really indicating that there are things that want to take us from solid ground, isn't he? There are forces that want to move us from our faith and our hope and our belief. The reality is that there is an evil one in this world with evil forces who wants to move Christians away from the hope and the faith and the belief in which they stand. Maybe he wants to do that in a theological sense. He'd love to see believers water down the truth of God's word. He'd love to see Christians question things about the resurrection and whether it would happen. He probably delighted in what was happening in the Corinthian church at that time as they thought about that. And Paul says, no, 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 you, you stand your ground here. You know, we don't have to look too far and we can see churches that have, have swayed over the last century in their faith in the gospel. And they are not churches that are doing well because it is a church where the gospel has no power because it is not a gospel at all. Maybe he wants to move us in, in, in moral changes to our lives. It's really tempting, isn't it? We see, we see all the things that are going on in this world and the way that other people are living their lives. and Boy, we think, I would like a bit of that. That looks like a lot of fun. That would help me fit in a whole lot easier. Uh, Paul says, no, no, you are to be steadfast and immovable. Don't, don't move from the good word that you have and the faith that you have. We have a, we have a societal pressure. To move as well, don't we? we? We've gone from the time where what we believed was okay. We've moved through a time where it was okay for you, but it's not okay for me. We're at a point now where it's often even not okay for us to believe what we believe. And so this pressure isn't there to fit in and to move. And so he says, no, no. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. And you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And this world will be put right again. You are the people who are steadfast and immovable now. And we might think, well, with all of that pressure, we're going to crumble, aren't we? We, 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 we? We're going to fold. How could we not? Well, the reality is that this returning Lord Jesus is the one who sustains his church now who's preparing his bride for, for the day that he returns, who gives us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to enable us to stand firm, to be steadfast and immovable. All right, second instruction we want to notice there, because the day of the Lord is coming and because we have this resurrection hope, we are to be always abounding Words are there in the work of the Lord. We don't just sit around and wait, do we? We don't just hide away in a corner waiting for all of this to be over for that day to come. No, no, Paul says, no, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, we could ask the question, what, is, what does he mean here when he talks about the work of the Lord? 
Uh, one way we could read it, we could read it very broadly, couldn't we? We could talk about everything that we do that honors Christ, the work of the Lord. And so we do our jobs for the glory of God in, in a way that's obedient. We play sport. We get involved in the arts. We, 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 we obey all, all, all because for Jesus' sake, don't we? And that, that's one, one option. But, but actually, when it comes to the book of Corinthians, the work of the Lord is actually a very specific phrase referring to something very specific in the life of the church. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, you, you may remember that Corinthians had those divisions. I'm for Paul, I'm for Peter, I'm for Apollos. And, and, and Paul says, no, 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 we, we, we water, we plant, but God gives the growth. And then he calls himself and Apollos and Peter fellow workers in God's vineyard or God's kingdom. He, he calls himself a fellow worker with, with the Lord. And earlier in chapter 15, and we, we didn't read this part, but he talks about how he worked harder than all of the apostles. And it's the same word work there. And it's, it's the gospel work that he was doing to, to strengthen believers, to build churches up, and to see the good news of Jesus expand out to others so that they might come in. And if you actually, if you've got your Bible open here, you can have a look at chapter 16, verse 10. If you've just got it open, don't worry if you don't. Uh, he says, look at this, he says, When Timothy comes to you, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord Jesus is doing in this world, strengthening and building up his church, drawing his people into it, his elect into it, preparing them to be this great mass of humanity around the throne, worshipping Christ when he returns. That, that's the vision. That's the work that the Lord is doing. And he says, Paul, Apollos, Peter, we're fellow workers. And now look what he says. This, this is really interesting, isn't it? He says, all of you actually, all of you be always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because Jesus is returning. You, you get involved in that work. Building up other believers, serving them, sharing the good news with them, encouraging them, getting alongside them, being, giving them practical helps. And you be involved in sharing that good news with others so that they might too might be included in, in that great number. Notice how he says it. Always. <laughs> and up from time to time, you can, if you feel like it that day, you can get involved. He says, no, always. He says, it's abounding, overflowing work for the Lord. You know, we've, we've all seen flooded rivers and creeks over the last month, haven't we? You know, maybe in our own neighborhood or we've seen them on the news, those creeks that burst their banks, banks and they, they overflow. And, and, and that's really that, that kind of word. Abounding, overflowing, soaking everything around it. That work of strengthening one another, building up the church, and sharing the hope that we have with others. Now we might say that's really hard work, isn't it? That's costly and it's demanding work, and sometimes it's tiresome, and sometimes it seems very fruitless in that work. 
I think we can all say yes to that. I can say yes to that. It's interesting, Paul in the next phrase calls it labor. You know, we talk about someone doing hard labor, that's probably in prison, <laughs> being forced to work. It is, it is hard work, isn't it? But look at what he says. We do this knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. There's a couple of times where Paul actually, uh, in writing letters, uses that word vain, and he worries sometimes that his labor might have been in vain. You know, he writes to a couple of churches and he says, I'm worried that my, my work amongst you, my labor, has, has been in vain. And, uh, as I've kind of worked towards today, yeah, I've remembered things that I've done or not done and things that haven't quite turned out the way that you wanted them to. And yeah, I've been actually encouraged that Paul sometimes worried that his labor was in vain because sometimes I've, I've felt that very much as well. But he says, no, even though you worry about it, know that in the Lord, that's the key, isn't it? In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because this is the work that he is doing. And when we can, we're a part of it. And when we, we find it hard going and we, we can't see fruit. And we're praying for people and they don't change and they don't come to know Christ. And we invest our labors and it doesn't seem to work out the way we want. This is our hope, isn't it? That in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. He builds his church. He extends his kingdom. He transfers people from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And so that on that day when Christ returns, uh, his bride will be beautiful. His bride will be complete full of every single person that he desires to be there. And you and I, we have the great privilege of being involved, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's pray to him, shall we? Lord, we thank you for uh, this wonderful reminder that we look forward to the best moment ever. That day when you will return. When we will be transformed. When your world, your creation will be renewed. And we will enjoy you forever. Lord, keep us, our eyes fixed on that day. Uh, give us a longing and an expectant hope for that return. Help us to be ready for it. But also, Lord God, enable us to prepare for it well. Lord, keep us steadfast and immovable. Strengthen us through your word and by your spirit. Remind us over and over that it's worth it. And Lord, please enable us to be always abounding in your work. Give us a desire for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.